opportunities for him to come. And I want to tell you, uh, I wasn't trying to do him a favor by having him. I had him because I recognized and saw the gift of God in him. And that prophetic gifting was something I desired for our congregation. We needed that. Uh, all the fivefold ministry are different nutrients. They're like vitamins. And just because you're overloaded on A doesn't mean that you don't need some vitamin P, as in profit. You see, you need each one of them. And an overdose of one doesn't compensate for the lack of another. You need all of it. And so as our church was growing, we needed prophetic ministry. And I want to say to you that your pastor was a tremendous blessing. Brother, you blessed us. You, you left a deposit. And after you would leave, our people would be talking and rejoicing and fellowshipping over the preached word as well as the prophetic word for weeks afterwards. And if we talk about having a conference or anything, we say, well, you know, we need to have some other folks in and almost without fail, somebody would say, well, now don't forget Brother Baird. Now he, I'm sure he'd be available. So you need to call him. And I said, well, I probably do. But we always looked forward to him. And he was one of the ministers in the house that wasn't like a visitor or a guest. He was home folks when he came. We felt that. And I hope that you guys felt it. I mean, we, we embraced you. We embraced the gift of God because it was valuable. Then I was a little disconcerted because he moved all the way down here to the coast. And it was a little farther away. And now he was pastoring a church, which meant he wasn't going to be as free to travel and be in other places. But I want to say to you, I appreciate and value the gift of God. And I also value the man in whom the gift is invested. Uh, the way he walks, he walks with integrity and with character. And I'm, I deal with preachers all the time. And one of the greatest disappointments I've seen is so many men who have great gifts and sorry character. They can preach like a house of fire. But they harbor bitterness, unforgiveness, resentments. They've not got very sweet spirits. And I appreciate so very much Kevin Baird. Because he not only has a good word and a wonderful gift in him. But his heart is very much committed to becoming like Jesus. He's not arrived yet. As I haven't and we haven't. But he's in process. And I want to say to you, that's the whole ball game. As long as you're teachable and instructable, God will continue the work until it is finished in the day of the Lord. We're honored tonight to have the prophet of the Lord here to preach to us, but to speak prophetically into our lives. Would you join with me, please, in welcoming Dr. Baird, the prophet of the hour. God bless you. Oh, I appreciate that. You can sit down. Just... Well, he didn't have to sit down that quick, but I didn't. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Uh, my wife said that I ought to wear my purple jacket tonight. I always prophesy in purple better. I want you to know that. So, Well, Pastor Frank, I appreciate all those words um, better than I deserve. 
And uh, we appreciate you and just don't want to spend all this time mutually backslapping. But uh, we, we were talking, Trace and I, about the first time we went to New Covenant and our boys, I, I mean, they couldn't have been four and one somewhere in there. And uh, Clay and Tyler would sit there on the front row. And of course, your church rocked, man. I mean, you, you guys rocked. And uh, we always enjoyed going up into the mountains. It was never a, a, a burden. So we appreciate that again. Appreciate everybody being here tonight. We have some good things, I think, for you. <clears throat> we want to hear the voice of the Lord, and God willing, we'll even minister personally as we're quickened that way. But I want to do something just a little bit different. I've not done this, but uh, felt that it was ordered of the Lord to do it years ago. Um, I'd been in numerous meetings where I would be asked to participate in ministry with other prophets or prophetic voices. We call that prophetic presbytery. And, and sometimes churches, New Covenant was one of them that would invite uh, several prophets to come in and we'd function together in, in different ways in the congregation, speaking the word of the Lord for the moment. And uh, one of the gentlemen that I met through the years was a man by the name of Dennis DeGrasse. Good guy, had a good gift from God, a prophetic gift, and he would come, and oftentimes he would share, I believe, what he called a prophetic report, if I'm not mistaken. And oftentimes he would pray before he'd get to a church, and he would uh, have several things that he would be impressed of by the Lord, and he would share it with that particular congregation. And uh, I always thought it was an interesting way to just share the things that God was speaking and had particularly put on his heart. Well, when you're the pastor of a local church and you happen to be speaking in your own church, one of the challenges is, particularly when we're doing something like this, is that you would break that familiarity so you could speak with some sense of purity, that, that the people would have a confidence that it's not just because you spent a thousand hours with them in counseling that you would know so much about their life or that you would just hang around them a lot and thereby know a lot about them but that God would say something or speak something that would be revealed that they would be able to walk away and say wow that that's that's God there's no other way that could be spoken or said unless that was the Lord and so we have uh, endeavored to do that what I want to share with you tonight as we get started, and, and I do have a more, a more formal message, so it's Friday night, right? You used to stay out till midnight other places, so you, <laughs> if you could only have my view and see all the Kodak moments that happened right then. But I want to take a little time and I want to go through this because I was just quickened in these last few days to write some things down concerning what I believe is on the heart of God for 2007. And uh, some of them I'll put some bullet points on the screen overhead. Uh, you will be able to pick one of these up. It actually will look something like this. And I'll have that at the information desk. The reason I didn't hand it out any sooner is because I didn't want you to read it. I wanted you to listen to me. I wanted you to hear the word of the Lord, not just read what's on a piece of paper. And I want to share a few things, and you may want to take a few extra notes as well, but uh, synopsized, you'll be able to pick that up if that is something you would value, and perhaps we can even get it posted on the website later, and uh, we can pray over that in faith, and we can believe God, and we can see his hand move in these regards. 
But there are 12 things that I want to share with you, uh, I hope quickly, uh, before I get to the more, uh, I, I guess, pointed message that I want to share tonight. And so uh, get your pencils out and write this down and we'll believe God together. Number one, I believe God showed me that his people will go through a seasonal, and what I mean by that is a spiritual as well as natural change in various areas and in various degrees. Many will resist the changes that are coming and they will even say that this could not be God because they've grown comfortable in their situations and their states. They've mistaken their place of comfort for righteous stability. When in reality, it has become a place of lukewarm relationship and lack of faith. It could be said of 2007 that if you're not going through some change, something's probably wrong with you. Now, I'm not suggesting it has to be massive, but there will be change that will happen this year. Number two, the war in Iraq will continue to devolve into chaos and increase the confusion and division of our nation. Many will continue to compare its features with Vietnam in the natural, but they will miss the spiritually distinctive aspects. Vietnam was a battle against the spirit of atheism and godlessness. Iraq is a battle against the spirit of religion and divination. However, much like the Vietnam era, the spirit of the Lord is releasing, listen to me, a renewal and a move of his spirit for his church to arise and boldly address the unseen forces of darkness. Every time this nation has faced war, God has moved in renewal. And it's not just among the troops, but it's been amongst the churches as well. Number three. 2007 will be the year of the prophetic voice and the prophet. Because of the spiritual battle lines which will be drawn, the church will need greater discernment and insight into strategies and ministry that the Lord will require. There is going to be a great distinguishing of those ministries and ministers that have maintained their influence by the flesh or by the spirit. We will begin to see spiritual power confrontations as reasoning and debate and argument become more and more futile these initial showdowns will at first be incremental and small to the eyes of the culture but will eventually in time be seen widely and even in the media as the lord attempts to turn the harvest to himself the media will begin to cover the prophetic ministry and be genuinely interested in how it functions god will not let the psychics have their own television show I guarantee you, he will respond number four people will again be searching for spiritual reality and substance they will intuitively begin to sense though they'll probably not totally understand their need for true worship and radical devotion the Lord is beginning to realign his church for this dynamic of the harvest coming in and his people desiring living water Churches and ministries that have not prepared themselves for this realignment will find themselves in difficult times as they consider how to please God yet accommodate their membership. Many will confuse God's positioning and restructuring as a program rather than a divine leading. In much the same way, listen to me, in much the same way when God moved in the 60s and suddenly people fled what we would now call some of the mainline or more liberal churches 
in order to be a part of what God was doing in the earth. There will be many notable churches of our era who have decided to put the Holy Spirit in the back closet or in somewhere that's unobtrusive so people won't be offended or put on the spot. Many of these churches of this coming era are going to find themselves in very difficult positions as people once again are drawn to living water. I can tell you this. Everybody knows when they're thirsty. It doesn't take much training to know that. Number five. Individual Christians and churches are going to begin to adopt a more regional and even global view of their faith and of their vision and of their mission. As the world has become smaller with regards to economics and travel, the church has lagged behind. The Lord is going to reveal unusual strategies for declaring the gospel and breaking the barriers and boundaries of nations and of regions and of people groups. This will especially be true in Islamic nations and strongholds as the demonstration of the gospel in power begins to be more fully manifested in these areas. I just sense in my heart that God is going to move among Muslims in a tremendous way. And, and let me just say this so we're clear. He's not moving to affirm that all paths lead to God. He's saying there's one way, one truth, one life, and his name is Jesus Christ. And that revelation is going to come even in those areas. Number six. Conservative politics will begin to distance itself from true Christianity. As the church begins to awaken to its call to be a prophetic voice to the nation. There will be increased confrontations with true spirituality and secular society, especially in the areas of education. There will be an apparent greater shifting in the media and government in their hostilities even towards Christianity, yet this will be the atmosphere that will spawn the next great awakening and revival. Number seven. The roles of apostle and prophet are going to begin to merge together in a heretofore unknown and unrevealed way. The current tentativeness of many local churches and their ineffectiveness has been due to the fact that these two ministries, while generally they are understood, have not generally flowed together. 2007 will unveil the beginning of ministry, church services, conferences, and strategic events that will demonstrate the flow of these two streams working together for the global harvest. Now, I'm going to personally prophesy to you, Apostle Frank, I'm going to tell you that 2007, that there, there's going to be a new unveiling, and, and you used the word this morning, it's the word synergy. Synergy means that, that the sum is greater than all of its parts. And God is putting apostles and prophets together in a synergy that will cause it to be exponentially greater than it would have been by itself or on its own. And I'm just going to declare my dream. I, have, I, I, just, I, I felt quickened to the Lord to, de to declare the dream. That I believe that this will begin, but it won't end in 2007. It will continue out into the future. But God's going to cause our paths to converge. And there's going to be some merging that will begin to happen slowly at first, greater as time goes on. Because there at present is not a demonstration 
of what the scripture says, of whether it's Paul and Silas, or whether it's an apostle and prophet, or however it works, but that synergy is going to come together in order that it might be demonstrated in order to help and bless the local church. That's going to happen. That's going to happen. Number eight. The strength and anointing of parachurch ministries, and a parachurch ministry is what we would know probably as a traveling ministry. The strength and anointing of those ministries will be directly linked to their ability to help unlock the purpose and destiny on the local church. The local church is God's answer to a city or a region. Now, I'm going to tell you something. You can have Fortune 500 companies in your city. They are not as important as a local church. There is more important activity that takes place in a local church than any great corporation that may seek to locate in a state or in a region. All they're doing, they're just they're creating a job, praise God, they're, they're, they're helping the economy, that's great. But local churches that are used by God change lives. Nothing greater than that. Those ministries that build and see the local church as God's anchor in that community will flourish in an unprecedented way. However, many will dry up as they perpetuate their own agendas. Number nine, I hope you have ears to hear. The Lord is preparing to reveal a new generation of leadership that is currently hidden. They will come from non-typical or unexpected locations in order to underscore that God has exalted them and that God has elevated them. This new breed will be less political in every sense of the word. And they'll be more passionate about the people's relationship with and their purpose in God. The Lord will keep these voices moving amongst the church at large in unusual ways until finally they will be heard shouting from the housetops through miraculous open doors. That's what God's going to do. He always, he always moves like that. Number 10. Calamity through terrorist activity and natural events will escalate as the Lord will shake all that can be shaken. Those that walk and have revelation on Psalm 91 will emerge from these events with great testimonies as God uses all things in order to bring about his good and perfect will. These events will draw an even darker contrast on people's spiritual condition. As some turn to him and reach out to him and seek him and others begin to reject him. Number 11. The Lord will open financial doors to his people in order to adequately finance the needs of the kingdom. Businesses that have been stalled or hindered will be fully opened and released in order to get the resource required for effective ministry. The seeds that have been sown over the past years will open and blossom with its 30, 60, 100-fold return to the sowers. The generosity of the generations will be released to this generation to fully fund the harvest that is coming in. And then number 12. Greater demonstration of the appropriate place of signs, wonders, and miracles will begin to manifest. These will be undeniable and intentionally point people to the Lord with dramatic evidence. 
especially in the areas of words of knowledge and prophetic utterances. The Lord will use these signs to combat the spirit of divination and flattery in the world and in the church. We will in the church begin to hear with more regularity the healings of HIV and AIDS and other difficult diseases in documentable ways. All of this will be used for evangelistic purposes and the global harvest. That's what at least God quickened to me for 2007. So can we give God a big hand clap and say bless the Lord? And uh, these are just some of the things I've been sensing. And again, if that's of interest to you or if you enjoy interceding over things and if something in that is quickened to you, then... Uh, I encourage you then to pick that up and we'll just watch as God ten, tonight spoke the end from the beginning and uh, he begins to unveil what he's going to do in the earth. Praise God. Do you have your Bibles? Open up your Bibles to Luke's gospel and I want to share with you for just a few moments and all God's people chuckle. But open up to Luke's Gospel, chapter 5. And in just a moment, I want to read to you a story that has become most meaningful to me. And I've entitled what I want to share with you tonight, When the Prophetic Meets the Harvest. When the Prophetic Meets the Harvest. This conference was developed in order to give God opportunity to have a form in order that he might begin to speak to us all and whether or not you get a personal word, we're always excited by that whenever that takes place, but God can speak to you even as I'm sharing right now. I have found on numerous occasions that as I'm listening to someone teach the scripture or preach uh, that oftentimes as they're sharing something, God will begin to talk to me and it's not that I let my mind wander, but I, I have been given somewhat of an ability to, to listen to what's being said, but yet at the same time begin to write down some things that are being stirred in my spirit, even as the speaker is saying the words that he's saying. Has that ever happened to anyone else? It's like you're getting a message, but it's like God's giving you your own personal message, why that message is happening. That's a prophetic moment. And for me... I learned the things of God's voice. I learned the things of God's spirit and the way he would speak to us really kind of on the run. You know, years ago when I began studying for the ministry and uh, because I was in a, a, a fairly formalized uh, denominational setting that had schools and other educational institutions, if you wanted to be trained for the ministry, if you felt like God had called you to do the work of the ministry, the pathway to get there was you went off to school. And so I went off to college and I got a degree, a bachelor's degree in religion and philosophy. And, and then uh, if you really wanted to go to the good churches, you went on to seminary. So I went on to seminary. I went to graduate school and and I, I studied there in graduate school and I learned everything you didn't need to know in order to do the work of the ministry. And, but boy, I was smart in it, I'll tell you that. I was very smart in it. Uh, but it was while I was there and as I entered into my, my first church works and, 
as I began to just function within that particular setting, I, I had, I don't know whether it was I was taught specifically or whether you just pick it up along the way. I'm never quite sure how that happens, but, but I was taught somewhere along the way that, that when it came to prophets, that, that they really didn't exist anymore. Or if they existed, they were just a synonym for something else today. For instance, if, if you had a, a preacher come along, and maybe he was a fire and brimstone preacher. I mean, he preached on hell, and I mean, he could preach on it good, and you'd feel like you were dangling over the flames. And I mean, he'd, he'd scare you and guilt you and all that he could, uh, that fire and brimstone. We would say, well, that's a prophet. We call him a prophet. Or, uh, you know, perhaps there was a, a person who was a revivalist or he would come uh, for a revival and, and oftentimes the revivalist would be uh, uh, synonymously referred to as a prophet. Or maybe even if, if you were a preacher and a pastor and there were moments that, you know, uh, as you would teach your congregation or exhort them and, and do all the things that you needed to do to be sure that they were being fed you know, a balanced diet and all the rest. But there were those moments, you know, God just would burden you and you knew it was just time you had to wake him up or get him going or whatever it is that there would be that moment that we would sort of synonymously think that you would step into that prophetic ministry. Many in our circles actually taught that the office gift of the prophet had ceased, that uh, the teaching as it usually goes is once we got the established canon of scripture that somehow or another some of these some of these offices just sort of faded off the scene the only problem with that particular teaching really two problems number one is you don't find that teaching anywhere in this book number two is I, I've read most of the early church fathers and a lot of the early church writings and to be honest even after the book of Acts and the canon of scripture you still found folks prophesying so history doesn't even underscored as well but somehow or another we were taught that they had ceased or though they no longer exist I, 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 I guess it is a pun but most churches today in the earth are truly non-profit churches they are non-profit organizations Now you need to understand, once I got into the circles that I run around in now, what we call spirit-filled circles or charismatic circles, and we began to be exposed to the things of the Spirit and how God would gift believers and how even the Spirit of God would give individual believers the spirit of prophecy, a word of prophecy, words of knowledge. And even as we watch these things begin to, to take place and, and, and saw all of that, I'll be the first one to admit to you, I've seen more bizarre corrupt, crazy things happen in the name of thus saith the Lord than you can imagine. I've watched people stand up and give a thus saith the Lord in order to make their announcement to attend the men's meeting. I've seen it. I've seen dueling prophets in the same service. Anything you can prophesy, I can prophesy better. I've seen it. I've seen... People trying to control the direction of the service through the prophetic voice. I've seen people unrighteously try to guide people in a certain direction that they wanted them to go. I've seen people try to bilk others for money, saying, thus saith the Lord. I I'm here to tell you, I have, I have watched and seen more crazy things 
under the label of thus saith the Lord than you can even imagine. And it's interesting that when this whole area began to open up in my life, that a part of my job in those years being at Evangel Cathedral was that I'd go places and try to untangle some of those messes. Pastors would come and they'd look at me and say, we got a prophetic mess. We'd love for you to come help us clean this up. Or we'd love to see somebody that we feel like has just a tad bit of credibility come in here and do it right. And so when it comes to the prophetic ministry, uh, there's been some time and there, there, there's been some wild stories. And, you know, even in the 1990s, when a lot of this stuff began to be unveiled and revealed to the people of God at large, most, most prophecy was taught and directed as, as it was a moment for God to personally bless us. We, we kind of got this idea that personal prophecy was when God would show up and say, my, 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 how great you are. How could I even have gotten along in my kingdom without you? And so we kind of had this idea that that's, that's what it was all about because we were going to get us a good word. And, and, and so we sort of developed those mentalities. And, and what happened is we began to I think create pictures. I think that's what we do a lot of times. We get just this much revelation, and then what we do is we paint this big picture. And, and what we do is we create this picture of what we think God has done, and we've got about one piece of the puzzle, and don't realize that we've just bought us a 10,000-piece puzzle. And, and so I... I want to share with you tonight some things about the prophetic ministry that I think is, is exceedingly important and almost always overlooked. Every spiritual gift, every office, listen to me right now. I could teach on ascension gifts, we could talk about fivefold ministry, we could talk about spiritual gifts, all these things are important, but I'm going to tell you something that is just foundational and important and I want you to get it and I'll say it. Every gift of God that is given to you ultimately translates to reach the harvest. If you get a hold of that, you've got a major key to the work of the ministry. We have tended to think that the gifts come in order to say, you pray for me, I'll pray for you. Bless me, I'll bless you. And we'll just have a bless me time. I'm so blessed. That's not what God ultimately wants. He wants you blessed, yes. But he wants to reach into a world that they might be blessed too by knowing him. I want to read you this story, simple story, but it talks a little bit about the harvest and how the prophetic meets the harvest. Listen to this. It says in Luke 5, verse 1, it says, So it was, as the multitude pressed about him, meaning Jesus, to hear the word of God, that he stood by the lake of Gennesaret and saw two boats standing by the lake, but the fishermen had gone from them and were washing their nets. Then he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked him to put out a little from the land, and he sat down and taught the multitudes from the boat. Apparently a great crowd had gathered there by the side of the the sea, and it was an easy way to get out there a little bit offshore and begin to instruct the multitudes that had gathered there. When he had stopped speaking, he said to Simon then, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. But Simon answered and said to him, Master, we've toiled all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, you ought to underline that, nevertheless, at 
your word, I will let down the net. And when they had done this, they caught a great number of fish and their net was breaking. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees and said, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished. Everyone say, astonished. Everyone was astonished at the catch of fish which they had taken. And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, and this is the important thing to understand, the whole reason for this story is right here. He says, do not be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. You will catch men. Now, I believe this story was meant to illustrate to us the greatness of the coming harvest of souls that the Lord wants to see come into his kingdom and ultimately into his church. He speaks this living illustration with some fishermen and at the end of the story he says, I, I want you to understand that this whole thing that just happened, this miraculous supernatural event that just took place here before your very eyes, I want you to understand that this whole reason it happened before your very eyes was for you to understand that in much the same way you caught these fish, I am now calling you to catch men. I am calling you to reach what we call the harvest. And there are so many great images that begin to unfold, at least to me, as I look at this particular passage of Scripture and, and, and just begin to think about how this relates or how this compares, you know, to the to the heart of the Lord when it comes to the harvest. First off, can we just say right now, God's heart is for untold myriads of people, billions of people to come and know him. Can we say amen to that? You don't have to read far in the book of the Revelation to begin to see that around the throne of God are untold billions of people worshiping him and loving him. And, and the Lord wants this massive harvest. He wants to multiply not just add, multiply to the church on a consistent basis those who will come and say yes to Jesus Christ. It is his heart. In the same way that, that, that you know, he looked at, at Abraham and said, Abraham, look at the sky and see the stars in the sky. So shall your descendants be innumerable. God innumerably wants to bring in people into his kingdom. And there's, there's so many great images that we see here. Uh, the, the, the image in verse 4 where it says, launch out. Jesus says, launch out into the deep. Launch out into the deep. Can I just share this with you? If we're going to see that kind of harvest come into the church, if we're going to see that type of evangelism take place, we're going to have to get somewhere where we're over our heads. Our problem is much like Peter. You know, Peter was a professional fisherman. He understood how to fish, been doing it all his life. Pretty good commercial fisherman at that. He uh, had a business. He tended to his family. He had partners in the business. Obviously, it was a pretty good fishing company. He knew how to fish. He spent all night out there fishing, came up empty. So along comes this guy, Jesus, who only had experience being a carpenter. He was a woodworker. And he looks at this professional fisherman 
and he says, I want you to go back out there, cast your net on the other side, and I want you to try it there. Now, I just want you to stop for just a minute and think about this. How many times, much like Peter, have we become professional fishermen? We know, or we, or we think we know, what it means to reach people, what it means to go fishing. I mean, I've, I've, I've listened and probably taught it for years. We've actually kind of taught people, well, just go out and just throw your reel and your rod and your line anywhere you want and just start fishing. And the problem is, when we're doing that, nothing's coming out. But Jesus says, launch out into the deep. And this, I believe very, very much that we're going to have to get to the place where we finally admit that we don't know what we're doing. We are clueless. I've had to do that. I've looked at Trace on numerous occasions and said, I just don't know if I even know what I'm doing. But you know what? I think I positioned myself to get out in the deep. Because you can be a professional clergyman or you can be a professional Christian and think you know all about it, but there comes a moment that you just have to call time out and say, Lord, I'm not sure I know how to fish like you want me to fish. And he's calling us to go to a place where we're over our heads. We're out there in the deep. He says to them, he says, let down your nets. Let down your nets. They fished all night long. And he says, go let down your nets again. He says, I want you to do what doesn't seem to make any sense for you to do right now. Think about it. Peter's going, I've been throwing my nets out all night long. I'm ready to clean up, go home, put this stuff away. It's just not the right time. It's not the right place. I'm just, I'm done with it. I'm through with it. And Jesus says, no, I'm going to suspend all your natural, reasonable concepts and abilities. I'm, I'm going to stop that for just a minute. And I'm going to tell you to go back out and do what doesn't make sense to you. I'm going to call you to go back out somewhere where it doesn't seem reasonable. It doesn't fit your particular business paradigm. I'm going to ask you to go out there and it may violate every commercial fishing rule or law. There is the man. But you're going to have to do something that you've never done before and it may not make any sense. And then it says there in verse 5, it, he says, we toiled and there was nothing. I just love these images. I mean, I just love it. Can we just admit, I mean, I think 75% of, of, of getting recalibrated with God is just being honest enough to say, I'm, I'm clueless. Just being honest. And Peter's honest. He said, we, we toiled and we came up with nothing. Can we, can we just admit for once that if God has said that there's a last great awakening and there's still a revival and a global harvest and people are going to flood into his church and they will stream to the brightness of our rising and all of these wonderful passages of restoration and recovery and all these things, can we at least be honest enough to admit that we have toiled and there has been nothing? Can we at least admit that? The church needs to admit it. We're great at transferring members. We're great at it. We just, we just kind of shift every now. I think there's some divine shift. That's every, there's this voice somewhere that goes, shift. And everybody shifts. But ain't nothing happening with regards to the harvest. Natural aptitude, natural skills are of no value. 
And yet as you read the story and we get to the end, you see that the catch they get when they respond to Jesus demonstrates the enormity of the harvest. It demonstrates a, 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 a happening of such greatness that it almost capsizes their boat. Think about this for just a minute. God wants to send a harvest to legacy. He wants to send a harvest to Life Community Church. He wants to send a harvest to Seneca. He wants to send a harvest to the churches all over cities and regions in the world. He wants to send a harvest so big that it almost capsizes us. Where we say to ourselves, we can't handle this anymore. How are we going to take care of this? How are we going to get this in? Do you, can you conceive this? That's the heart of God. He says, I'm going to put you somewhere and have something happen that when this catch shows up, you're going to go. You know, they'll call you up on the phone and say, we want to know what you're doing in order to have such a great program going on in your church. And you'll be able to say, well, I, I, I want a one-day conference on this, this title. I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> Class one, clueless. But God has that for us, something beyond what we can do on our own. And that's God's heart. And I believe right now he's preparing a people. He's preparing churches to be prepared to facilitate the greatness of that harvest. All these things you hear about are not just interesting theoretical concepts. He's raising apostles. He's raising up prophets. He's, he's moving amongst his church. He's forging relationships. He's calling us back to the cross. He's helping us understand deliverance. He's doing so many things in order to clean some fish when they come. But it will not come in in the conventional way. It will come in when we get the key phrase that I mentioned to you here that says, nevertheless, at your word. At your word, Lord, I will. At your word, Lord, I will. Peter threw the net where he was told to throw it. And it's at this point that we see the prophetic meeting the harvest. I don't know about you, and maybe pastors are the only ones that think about this, but you've heard me mention on occasion that that as I just sort of make observations, and again, I don't make dogmatic statements. I've learned already that you just, you never make a dogmatic statement, but I can make a few dogmatic observations. And one of those observations, and at times it's a frustrating one, is that as I sort of just look across church life in general, I see a lot of decisions being made, but I don't see many disciples. Are you with me? A lot of people signing cards. I'm just not seeing too many conversions. I, I, I mean, we talk about reaching the harvest, and most of us are doing our best to make sure they get up on time on Sunday morning, and we got to swing by to pick them up, and even then we're dragging them into the car, and we barely can get them through the door, and we try to keep them awake through the service, and, 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 and we've kind of convinced ourselves somehow or another that that's the, that's the harvest, and I'm telling you, it, we work hard at dragging that person here. And it's just sort of been this personal, frustrating 
point with me, I've sort of asked myself the question, if you've got to drag a, a new a believer to church, if you're constantly dragging them, getting them, encouraging them or whatever, if you're constantly working, 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 I, I just finally ask, I'll just ask the question no one else wants to ask. You really saved? Really? Really? Wow. Because when I signed up, I got something way different than you got. Oh, but we'll organize it. We'll, we'll, we'll form committees in order to call and get them up in time. We'll work hard. We'll toil, we'll toil, we'll toil, and we'll, we'll pull in a little fish, and we'll watch that little fish and make sure that little fish doesn't flip-flop too much in the boat, and, and we'll make sure we get the water just the right temperature in the holding tank on the boat, and we'll make sure that fish has every opportunity to make it to shore. Hallelujah. And we come in with our boat, and we're... How, we got us a fish. And I'm not demeaning the value of that fish. God loves that fish. He died for that fish. He has a heart for that fish. But we have to understand to see the harvest, we're going to have to get a hold of his word. We are experts in where to fish, when to fish, how to fish, how to market fish. What fish really want to see? We'll be sensitive to the fish. We'll make sure that the colors are attractive to the fish. The sounds are what the fish want to hear. We'll make sure we have express service for the fish that are just busy fish. Oh, you can go to all sorts of places and pick up books from Christian demographers who will tell you how the fish are percentage-wise divided up. They'll give you all the demographics of this fish group and that fish group. If you want terrapin or bass, we'll make sure we have something for the terrapin and the bass. I mean, we'll, we'll do all of these things. We'll get leadership experts to come and tell us what we need to do in order to work with these fish. We've got everything going on. But is it not interesting? We aren't capsizing, are we? And God's heart is to capsize us. Now, I'm going to tell you why it's not happening, and I've already mentioned it. The answer is, is that conversion, conversion is a supernatural thing. I can fish for souls. I can reach out to people. I can witness my faith. I can preach the gospel, I can give invitations, I can do all of these things as I should. But only God can convert a heart. That's a supernatural thing that no human being is involved in. Only the Holy Spirit, only the Holy Spirit can give a revelation to us that will enable us to cast our net in the right direction that will lead that lost person to Jesus Christ and pull them into the boat. And that's the point we've missed. The prophetic is about releasing and speaking a revelation. We don't rely on our abilities to persuade, but we rely on the Holy Spirit's ability to reveal. You've heard me tell the story, Frank. I've stole this story from you. I remember the time... You said you had a message all prepared and, 
and, and, and it was on, I think it was on tithing was the story. You had this message on tithing. You were going to teach the church a little bit on, on giving and tithing. And, and, and apparently a family walked into New Covenant that day, and there were about 10 of them. I don't remember the number, so give me a little liberty here, all right? But they came into New Covenant that day, and Frank tells the story. I probably ought not tell it. He'd probably tell it better. But I remember, I just remember it as clearly as can be. He saw those 10 come in, and he said, Lord, they've never been in church. This is the day they need to hear the gospel. They're ripe to hear it. I'm going to change my message, and I'm going to preach the gospel so they'll give their heart to Jesus. And the Lord said, as I recall, you best not do that. Don't you do that. And, you, and I'll never forget, you do it so well. You say, Lord, they're lost. They need the gospel. The Lord said, don't you do it. And then I'll never forget what you said. You said, well, Lord, if they go to hell, I want you to know it's, it's not on my hands. I love that. I absolutely love that. You're absolved. But the end of the story was this. He preached the word that God had given him with regards to giving and tithing in that particular area, gave an invitation, and that family came to an altar and gave their hearts to Jesus Christ. Let me tell you something. You get a word from God. The Bible says, so shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please and be successful in the matter for which it was sent. Our problem is we're... We're tailoring and catering and trying to figure out who wants to hear this and that and the other and how this can fit here and there. And we need to get a word. We need to get a revelation. We got to hear God's voice. The prophetic is about releasing and speaking a revelation. We don't rely on our ability to persuade, but rather we rely on the Holy Spirit to reveal. Let me give you just a couple quick examples. I'm not going to read all of these to you, so don't panic. But I just want to show you a couple things here in the Bible. This is Bible, not my opinion. This is Bible. Joel chapter 2, verse 24. In Joel 2 and 24, there's this interesting interplay that takes place here with the prophet as he begins to speak about the threshing floor. And he says that the threshing floor shall be full of wheat and the vats shall overflow with new wine and oil. And there's lots of imagery here about the Holy Spirit, but there's also imagery here about the harvest and how, how there will be an abundance of the presence of God and there will be an abundance of the harvest. And he says, I'm going to restore the years that uh, the locusts have eaten. And he goes through all the locusts and you'll have plenty and be satisfied. And he says in verse 27, you'll know that I'm in the midst of Israel and You'll never be put to shame. And then he says in verse 28, same chapter, same context, same uh, connection with verses. He said, and after it shall come to pass that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall what? Prophesy. And your old men shall dream dreams and your young men shall see visions. Also on my men servants and on my maid servants, I'll pour out my spirit. He says he'll show wonders, verse 30, the sun will be turned to darkness, imagery there with regards to that, but verse 32 sort of sums it up, and it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. There is this connection that takes place in this second chapter of Joel that says, I'm going to send my word prophetically, and it's going to be in the midst of this harvest that's coming in. In John chapter 4, the Samaritan woman who has that interaction with Jesus, and he says, give me a drink. And the woman 
uh, begins uh, to say she doesn't have anything to have to give him the drink and, 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 and he goes, I'll give you water and you'll never thirst again. And they have this interaction and as they're having this particular interaction, uh, she says that uh, she has no husband. He asks about her, her marriage relationship. I, I forget exactly how the story went. Help me here. I'm, 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 I've got a brain cramp. But nonetheless, he says, you're right what you say. You've had five. And then she says, sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. And he begins then at that particular point to share with her how he's the Messiah. She talks about the Messiah. And ultimately, we get the, we get the inclination that she opens up our heart and embraces Jesus as the Savior. It all happened because he had a word. And the harvest responded. The most interesting one, I think, is in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. It's right there in the middle of that chapter that no one ever preaches on. 1 Corinthians chapter 14. He talks about what happens in the middle of church life. Listen to this. 1 Corinthians 14, 24. Listen now. He says, but if all prophesy and an unbeliever or an uninformed person comes in, he is convinced by all, he is convicted by all, and thus the secrets of his heart are revealed, and so falling down on his face... He will worship God and report that God is truly among you. Now what he's saying at this particular point, and, and it's not that there's not a decorum or there's not an order within a church service or the church house. We're not going to address that issue. I'll simply say this, that everybody does have the capacity to hear God's voice. And as you begin to speak that word that God gives you, the scripture says here that there will be those that will hear and be convinced that that is God and, and they'll be convicted in a good way and all of a sudden they'll fall on their face and they'll say there is a God. Now let me just share this with you. That won't happen if the Holy Ghost is put in the closet. Are you with me? The Holy Spirit has to be up front and center. My personal project in the earth and in the church is to remind people that if the Holy Ghost don't show up, ain't nothing going to happen inside the heart of man. Are you with me? You can be entertained. You can be tickled. You can laugh. I can be a stand-up comedian. We can get some interesting knowledge. We can once again fill our brains with all sorts of wonderful biblical stuff, but you won't see anything supernatural unless God shows up and works in the hearts of men and women. So we can't eliminate this aspect. You, you have to begin to cultivate a relationship with God that you can hear his voice. So when you're at work and God speaks to you, and, and that coworker that you've been interacting with for Maybe years that doesn't pay any attention to you and they roll their eyes at you and, 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 and they don't want anything to do with you but God drops something in you and it's just a simple something and you walk up and you just share and, and you might say it like this, you know, I just, I just sense in my heart that you might be going through this and all of a sudden it, they melt. All of a sudden they open up. All of a sudden they go, how did you know? Who told you? And there, there it is, that moment that you have an ability to talk straight to their heart because God opened it at that moment because you got that word. You got that word. See, our problem may be that we don't have the courage to share 
our faith, then that may be an issue in this whole equation. But even, I think, before you work on the courage to share it, we got to get back realigned and recalibrated so we can hear what God's saying. We've got to begin to understand that there's a prophetic aspect of Christian life that will help us meet the harvest. I've had people look at me and say, well, they don't want me to be weird and they don't want me to be spooky and they don't want, they don't want anything that could somehow turn them off. Folks, they're watching Charmed on television. They're going to see movies that are paranormal and all sorts of supernatural, bizarre, crazy things. They're paying $4.99 a minute to call 1-900-PSYCHIC. You know, I'm just, I mean, we put them on television, and some guy will stand up and say, yeah, I talked to your dead Aunt Edith today, and Edith wants you to know she's okay. And, and I mean, they'll fill it all up. They'll put them on Oprah. They'll do all these sorts of things, and we're afraid we're going to be bizarre. I'm sorry. I think I'm normal. I'm not the bizarre one. This world is bizarre, alienated from God. They're the ones that are truly clueless. I don't think we'd even phase them if we looked and just said, you know, I just sense in my heart that maybe this is going on in your life. And you say, well, well what happens if I miss it? Well, you know what? Take a swing at a few pitches every now and then. I've, I've, I've said this oftentimes as I've trained people in this area. I've had people down front. I've had a husband and wife before down front. And I'll be grabbing one of their hands and I'll be prophesying over them. And they'll be looking straight, straight at me and they'll be shaking their head. And their spouse right behind them will be going. Hey, let me tell you something. They may look at you and say, you don't know what you're talking about, but that don't mean you didn't hit the mark. They're just running. So we've got to begin to be open to that word, that, that prophetic aspect. And can I just share this with you? The reason you have these ministries come in, as, as Apostle Frank mentioned earlier, the reason you rub shoulders with these kind of ministries is because what happens is, is that begins to rub off on you. And it begins to sharpen and develop those, those aspects of your life that are available to every Christian. To hear God's voice. And to begin to speak what he has said. I want to give you just real quickly five things. Five things that can help you begin to cultivate, open your heart up, begin to function in this a little bit better, hear God's voice. We could, we could spend literally weeks on this subject, but I can only give you just a few things right now that can get you started in being more open to that prophetic aspect and hearing God's voice so that when you throw the net, or even as we as a church... We throw the net, we'll see fish come in the boat. Amen? Number one, you've got to ask God to increase that anointing. You have not because you, that's the Bible, you have not because you ask not. We are to ask God for the things of the Spirit. You can't run around and say, well, if God wants me to have that, he'll just drop it on me. Well, you know, he doesn't do that for salvation, does he? I, I see nobody running around saying, well, if God wants me to be saved, he'll just drop it on me. No, you know full well that if you want to be saved, you've got to confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. You've got to believe in your heart that he was raised from the dead. And scripture says, then you're saved. So you've got to enter in to whatever's happening. You've got to ask Jesus in, right? 
So if you want something from God, you've got to ask him. And the amazing thing is, sometimes I guess we just feel like we just can't ask him. God himself said, ask of me and I will give you the nations. He said it. I didn't say it. Don't, don't think I'm being somehow overboard or arrogant. I'm just quoting what he said. Ask of him the nations. Ask of him the cities. Ask of him the states. Ask. Ask. Do you think God would withhold from you a greater tool in order to cast your net and win people to Jesus? I don't think so. I just don't think so. You've got to ask God to be increased in that anointing. Say it out loud. Everybody repeat after me. I ask you, God, to increase the prophetic anointing in my life. Now I want you to believe him right now. Just say, I believe it. I just receive it and I believe it. I just receive and believe it. God's going to do that. Starting tomorrow. I'm going to wake up in the morning and I'm going to hear his voice. He's going to guide my steps, direct my path. I'm going to have divine appointments. And I'm going to come in front of people that are going to need Jesus. And God's going to drop things in me. And there'll be keys that will unlock their hearts to hear good news. I believe that. I believe that. Number two, you've got to receive, listen to me, you've got to receive prophetic DNA. Now, those of you that are in this church, you've heard that word DNA before. We call DNA around here, uh, we call it and I forget it now. <laughs> Come on, help me, Casey. What's DNA? Divine necessary anointing. I got it right there. See, God dropped that right in my spirit. You saw that before your very eyes. Divinely necessary anointing, DNA, and you need to get prophetic DNA. Now, you don't get this DNA because you were begotten naturally, but you have to be begotten by the, by the Spirit. You are begotten by an atmosphere. As you hang around in an atmosphere and as you hang around a ministry, you begin to be begotten into that DNA, and that's why you need to hang around. Don't be, don't be afraid of the prophets. It says believe the prophets and succeed. You get that anointing. It rubs off on you. You're, you're sharpened. You're increased. You're enlarged. Some of you have heard this story back in May. It was March, excuse me, of 1990. Uh, he's now a nationally recognized prophetic voice. And I know he gets his criticism, but I'm telling you, I, he, just an amazing gift of God that works in him is Kim Clement. And he came through, and it was long before anyone knew who Kim Clement was, and he came to Evangel Cathedral, and he ministered, and he, he spoke, and he prophesied over people. And I wasn't in the prophecy line or anything like that. And he, he pulled me up, and uh, he prophesied, grabbed my hand, and one of the things he said it to me, he said, today, this man, I give him, I give him what you've given me. Now, I, l l hear me now. I didn't, I, I was clueless. You've heard of sleepless in Seattle, I was clueless in Spartanburg, all right? You say, well, what happened? Nothing. Zero. You said, you got a word, nothing happened? Absolutely zero. Three months went by. We were just in a service. I was sitting up on the platform with my pastor, just minding my own business. Wasn't looking for a word, wasn't trying to get a word, never even knew that I could speak a word. In fact, I wasn't even sure all about prophetic things. You know, I hadn't really taken the time to study it all out and learn all about it. I, I didn't know. But all of a sudden, something started rumbling in my 
spiritual wounds. Guys, you can have one of those. You could, you could feel it moving. And all of a sudden, there were these impressions and these thoughts. And I remember I looked at, at Pastor and I said, I, I think I have a word. <laughs> he goes, well, go give it. <laughs> so, you, you know, and you march up there and you look at, you know, 1,500 people or however many 2,000 people. And, 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 and I remember, I just, I, I gave the word, didn't even, I don't even remember to this day what the word was. All I know is, is that something exploded that day in that congregation. It just went, boom. And I mean, the atmosphere changed. God moved and showed up. And, and let me just tell you, I was dumb as a doornail. You can have a doctor's degree and be dumb as a doornail. A lot of them were my teachers. Ephesians 4 says that the fivefold ministry, literally, if I, could, if I could quote the Greek to you, it literally says that the fivefold ministry comes to supernaturally equip the saints for service. To thoroughly and completely supernaturally, the work is not energia, but the work is ergon. It means supernaturally equip the saints for service. Some of that supernatural comes to you by way of instruction. Some of that supernatural comes to you by way of impartation and just hanging around it. DNA, number three. You got to be aware of prophetic burden. I'm hurrying. I put down here that a burden is a sense of compassion and empathy beyond the natural. You must be aware of prophetic burdens. There are times I believe God uses this in many people's lives that for some reason you get this burden for this person. It's a, it's a prophetic burden. You don't know why you're burdened for them. You're just, you think of them. Or they're, they, it, I mean, Tracy's great at this. She'll be doing dishes or getting ready or something and God will begin to speak a name in her spirit. And, and I can't tell you how many times she'll come in and say this name has popped up in my mind and in my spirit, and it won't be 24 hours before we run into that person. Maybe not have seen them in years. Do you think that's a coincidence, really? I don't think so. I think that's a, that's, that's a prophetic burden. It, it, something happens, and, and, and almost without fail, as you interact with those people, there's something that's happening that they need, the touch of God, happening in their life. You've got to be aware of that. You've got you to wake up to the things of the Spirit. You've got to begin to get out of bed and say, God, today's a new day. I'm going to rejoice and be glad in it. Talk to me right now. Say something to me right now. And you might be amazed at how much he says. Number four, you've got to keep your vessel clean and right. You cannot share things out of a bad heart and hope that someone else gets a good heart. The message, and God has to move through you. Now, I'm so glad that God doesn't expect perfection because none of us would qualify. But at the same time, while he doesn't expect perfection, he does expect due diligence. And you've got to, with due diligence, keep your heart right, forgive, let it go, release it. You need to begin to 
to, to say, I'm going I'm to keep myself in a position where God doesn't have to move through all the trash and junk and gross stuff in my life, but I, I, I want him to get it in me, and when it comes out of me, I, I, can, I can release that living water out of me in a way that I don't have to worry about, that they're going to catch something that I don't want them to have. So you got to keep your vessel clean and right. And then number five, I'll just be up front. You better be ready to endure affliction because prophetic people have always had extra warfare around their life. I wish I could change that, but I've, I've come to this conclusion. This is my personal conclusion, that the prophetic aspect of any Christian or even that ministry, the reason there seems to be such warfare that surrounds it is because it's the ministry that sees around the corner. It's, it's the ministry that, that gets to peek into what's going on just down the road. It begins to see the strategies of the enemy. It begins to understand what's going on in the times that we're living in. It, it has that ability to, to move on up kind of ahead of everyone else. So once it gets up there and it sees, it can come back and say, I've been through the forest. I've cut a path. I know which way to go here. And the enemy doesn't like that. And, and really, the prophetic ministry of all ministries, and that's not to demean any, they all have their strong points and important points, but the prophetic ministry is, of all ministries, I think one of the most offensive ministries. Because you're on the front line, hacking it down, slugging it out, you're on the forefront, hearing what God's saying, being out there where no one else is there, and people look at you like you have lost your mind. And you know what our problem is? We're so busy worrying about what everyone thinks. We're so busy wanting to be liked because we think that if people like us, they'll like God. And you know what I found? They don't like me, and they don't like God. And maybe they do like me, and they still don't like God. You know what, you know what they need? They just need a confrontation with God and get me out of the way. But get ready to endure affliction. When you are doing what God asks of you to do, you're throwing the punches. And it's time to get into the battle. It's time to get into the arena rather than avoid it. How many of you know right now? How many of you really know? I mean, without a shadow of a doubt, I, you just right now, you know that when life is all said and done, when this, when this whole thing wraps up and it's completed, how many of you know that God wins? Do you really know that? Do you understand? I mean, he wins. Now, now, hear me, hear me, hear me, hear me. If you're hanging out with him, how many of you now know that when it's all wrapped up, you win? You win. That's a great feeling. That no matter what else happens, like me, love me, ignore me, spit on me, say bad things about me, I still win. Because I'm hanging out with the winner, the one who wins. Amen. Stand with me, will you please? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Spirit of God, we invite you now into this most important moment because of all the things that could happen here, the most important thing is you getting inside of people, a place where no man can go. And you begin to do the work that is ascribed only to you. Lord, I want you, I want you to talk to people here tonight. Lord, I'm asking you. I'm asking of you to come and really dig into our hearts and, and cause us to just 
face up to you and, and be honest with you. Because, Lord, if we're not honest with you, then there's really no one else we can ultimately be honest with. Because you're the one that cares and, and, and can help. And so why would we hide? We'd only hide, well, because we've got something to hide. So, Lord, right now I would just ask that you would come and just, just let us be just brutally honest with ourselves and cause us to just be ruthless in our evaluation of our own spiritual condition right now. And Holy Spirit, you do this in such a way that it amazes me. You don't make us feel condemned in it, but you make us feel challenged and desirous in that. And I ask that you would do that tonight in this place. Lord, I, I know probably everyone in this house tonight could say, you know, I just, I need a sharpening in this particular area. Boy, I, there are numbers of times that I've said, Lord, I need it sharpened. I need that aspect of my life sharpened up. And you've been faithful to do that. But Lord, I know there may be some here tonight. I'm not, I, I know there are some that we're talking about that their blade is sharp and they're just saying, I need it sharper. <laughs> but I also know there's some here tonight that their blade is so dull and it, it's, it's just, it's, it's got like that knife we've hit on a rock so many times, it's just, it's almost worthless. And our, our spirit is just that way, it's not sharp. And Lord, I, I'm most concerned about them because they really need, they really need a miraculous work to cause that to be reignited in them and helped in them. So Holy Spirit, I need you right now. We all need you to come and do that in us. And I tell you what I'm going to do right now. In these last moments, on this Friday night, and we're only going to have one more service. We do nothing tomorrow. Saturday, we're taking the day off. But Sunday morning is the last time we're going to gather together with this particular emphasis. So understand right now, this is an important moment. You can't, you can't continue to, to push away moments because they eventually end. But tonight is an opportunity for you to say, you know what, I'm tired of living life as a natural man, a natural woman. I'm, I'm, I'm tired of toiling and coming up empty. I am tired of, of going through the motions and, and, and trying to make it work and getting my hands in it. And it's time that I got my spirit sharpened and I was able to say, nevertheless, at your word, I will. I will. And I'm telling you tonight, all I can do is offer you the opportunity. Listen to me. I can't guarantee you anything. I, there are no guarantees in ministry. The only guarantee I can give you is that if you come with a sense of desperateness and hunger and desire and thirstiness, that God will not despise you, but he will pour water on him who is thirsty and he will send bread to him who is hungry and he will sharpen those who desire it and he will in no wise cast you out. But that's something you've got to do. I can pray the prayer and lay the hands and blow and spit and all the rest, but you've got to want that. Nobody's going to force you to hear God's voice. But I'm telling you, if there's a heart that desires that, you can come right now and say, Lord, work it in me right now. Work it in me right now. I don't want you to come. Listen, I'll, I'll, I'll respect you more if you stay where you are. Don't you come because somebody else came. You come because there's something in you that says, I'm hungry for God tonight. And I want something happening in me. I need to get revelation. 